You have tuned into Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, January 25th. I'm Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Since we last gathered last Monday, Notre Dame was put on probation. We didn't expect that news, but a little bit of uh, a, a, a little bit of uh, phone calls ahead of the scheduled time by a former Irish assistant has put Notre Dame on probation. To clarify to everyone, maybe some of our older listeners hear probation and think no bowl game. Probation has different levels, and in this case, Notre Dame will, of course, be able to play a bowl game. A couple. Uh, Really, really fairly minor slaps on the hand. I, I thought it was kind of amusing that Brian Kelly turned down a picture offer with Lorenzo Stiles Jr. and then said, ah, oh, what the heck? And he got, he got caught for it. But that obviously is a low-level probation, a low-level violation for Notre Dame. So they'll st- still be in bowl games, and I really don't think that there's anything on there, maybe you guys disagree, that would impact Notre Dame significantly, whether it's on the field or off the field in recruiting. I, I mean, Notre Dame's pretty buttoned up with recruiting um, in terms of how aggressive or liberal they interpret the rules. It's already, I think they're fairly conservative about that stuff. I think that would just sort of make them maybe even a little bit more conservative, but I don't, there's not a lot of room for them to go there. So it's, I think you just sort of got to watch, make, make sure you're fully compliant because, you know, probation is essentially a yellow card in this instance. And as long as you can make it through the year without, anything else then it goes away it's not it's like points on your license um they get waived after a year and then you never speak of it again exactly it's like the first technical foul the first flagrant foul just yeah. don't don't commit another one yeah it's out. just a, when it, you know when it's notre dame it's a it's i know, a, I, know. just even when i read it over it's like all spring sanctions like 14 days i don't know no, limiting 14 unofficial visits the spring 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 i mean if notre dame gets back to having fans in the fall that's when you want to bring some new people in anyway it couldn't have been so I just liked it. The first thing that happened was when somebody, I think Pete reported it and someone said, uh, this only happens in Notre Dame. And then Pete pointed out two really good teams uh, were undergoing this the entire year in Texas A&M and Florida. So that's yeah. how badly, that's how badly it affected those two teams. Well, and were you aware of that at the time? No, that's Texas not, A&M I had no Florida idea. I, was, yeah. I didn't, Pete, did yeah. you know that? I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember reading the story, Andy Staples wrote it, uh, the athletic just sort of detailing, essentially it was, uh, a, the coach at Savelle Smalls High School kind of ensnared coaches because I don't know if he was trying to like, it sounded like he was trying to impress Willie Taggart at Florida State, um, maybe try to get Smalls to Florida State. This coach is now on Taggart's staff at FAU, by the way. Um, and I remember reading it being like, well, that's weird, but Notre Dame didn't really recruit Savelle Smalls, so it's not going to not gonna get in my orbit, but here we are. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was just, yeah, it's definitely, I, I think, you know, Tim, you mentioned that it was like, oh, it's a Notre Dame, there are people always out together. And I'm like, Notre Dame is, is the third school in this. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if there were more schools that get caught right, up in right. this recruitment because yeah. everybody went out and tried to recruit this kid. Also the news, uh, speaking of recruiting, Notre Dame recruited Houston Griffith back to the fold. Uh, he had entered his name in the portal. Marcus Freeman, uh, again, gets credit here. Brian Kelly as well for coercing Houston Griffith into coming back to Notre Dame. Notre Dame needs him. Uh, Notre Dame needs a better Houston Griffith. We've talked about this than the one that's been on the field for the last three years, but under the circumstances of safety with Kyle Hamilton coming back and no real clear-cut heir apparent to Sean Crawford as a starter, 
Easton Griffith coming back under Marcus Freeman and whoever the new safeties coach is. We know that physically he's capable of doing it. I, I you know, Tim and I think I think we're in accordance here that just when we, when we see the, the effort put forth by him, it doesn't always look like it's uh, comparable to the physical ability that we know he has. Right, but there's not a downside. Um, if Houston Griffith is exactly what it was last year, he can be a backup safety for Notre Dame. Um, you would hope. You would hope that they would have found a safety in the to, transfer I mean, portal. Needs or, to be a more physical football. He has to be a more physical player. There's, if if you want to see just why we say that all the time, it's not it's not every snap necessarily because he's, I mean, he's not around the ball a lot defensively in the scheme because he's in on third and long. So when I say like he had one stuff and he didn't make any big, I mean, he's really not a, doesn't have that many chances. He's probably doing his job. Just watch him on like kickoff return and kickoff coverage. It's just a bunch of. I think there are Patty times where, and, you know, it's <clears throat> right. There, there are times where you want to see him get involved in the play, just being yeah. physical about it. Hey, in his yeah. only extended, in his only extended work, he and DJ Brown, Notre Dame completely shut down North Carolina. So he was doing something right on the back end. There's no, you know, there's, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And hopefully that's something to build on. Pete, your, your thoughts on this? Asmer Bilal, Javon McKinley. Yeah. That's what you could. If that can happen, great. And like O'Malley said, there's no real downside if it doesn't. Um, and Notre Dame needs they need bodies at the safety yes. position. Like that, that position has been recruited so poorly uh, over the last few years that I mean they they really need they need Houston Griffith more than they needed Asmer Bilal to hit more than they needed Javon McKinley to hit um, because the recruiting at that spot has been really scattershot over yeah, the last I, few cycles. I, I would agree with that. I think Asmar Bilal had shown more. Um, yeah. you know, cause he oh, for, yeah, there's no, yeah. no question, right. but you know, he, he was not somebody you're like, right. Oh, this guy's really going to have a click and have a great final year. Um, <laughs> he had a great year too. He yeah. really did. He Probably closer year. to Javon McKinley in terms of yeah. having what Houston Griffith has shown through three years, what Javon McKinley had shown through four. Yeah. And if you can get, you know, if somebody can get through to Houston Griffith, you have a good chance of having him for two years, not, not one. So, I mean, he, he will likely need, 2022 to fully prove himself if he if he truly has aspirations for the NFL. So step number one was getting him back. Step number two is getting him in spring practice, getting him to play to his level of ability. Jafar Armstrong is um, going to play football at Illinois. I think we all root for Jafar Armstrong, the nice person, but fun guy to talk to who had some talent we thought in 2018. He hasn't been the same since and uh, slot receiver weapon is where he should be not running back and good luck for him because he can play two more years. And, uh, you know, he, you know, it's, it's not a lack of effort for Jamar, Jamar Armstrong. He just never really settled in at the position. And I, I don't know. He never looked the same to me after that torn abdominal muscle. He just no, did not yeah. seem like the same player. Who were the other ones? You had Kofi Wardlow who's going to Charlotte. Um, I believe Isaiah Rutherford is going to Arizona. Um, That's correct. I have a list yeah, somewhere. Yeah, Jamie Franklin's been at Duke sure. for a minute now, but right. yeah you know, kind of go through the rundown you of know, these grad transfers and transfers out yeah. where they're headed. And the thing about, I mean, Jafar Armstrong, we know what kind of running back he is. We really still don't have any idea what kind of wide receiver he is, a slot receiver. I think <clears> it fits him well. He's certainly explosive enough and physical enough, you know, to win those matchups coming out of the slot. He still has to go against uh, West of it, Big Ten West Division teams uh, with with really quality defenses like Wisconsin and Iowa, but 
Northwestern, Minnesota, Nebraska, Purdue are also in that conference, and we'll see who they are in that division, and we'll see who they play in the other division. But yeah, I mean, I think we all, you know, Jafar Armstrong all made a positive impression on us. Yeah. In the times that we had opportunities to speak with him, and we, you know, we want good things for him. Um, final thing in this segment, safeties coach. No further word on that. Uh, one would think that if if Kerry Cooks was the guy for that job, he would have been named already. But again, we're talking about a procedure and timetables, which you guys all know how I feel about predicting timetables right. with hires. That's there are things that go on behind the scenes that we have absolutely no idea about. So however long it takes for them to get a safeties coach, that time will play itself out. But Kerry Cooks would still be the leading candidate. Uh, as far as we can see. Makes the most sense. And I mean, they could be just in a position now. I don't think there's any rush to name a safeties coach. Certainly not like there was with a defensive coordinator. Just wait till your entire staff is in place and then name the whole thing. You know, just like, hey, here's our staff for the 2021 season. You know, get down to GAs and quality control and all that. Um, I think that's, that's probably the approach that we'll take. And maybe, you know, I mean, Marcus Freeman maybe wants to make that call or is allowed to make that call. And I would think he'd be involved in that call. Ab- no, right? absolutely. And maybe maybe his first choice didn't pan out. Again, all these things behind the scenes that we speculate about and say, when are they going to hire something? Well, there are there. It's a process. Notre Dame's, I realize, can be longer, can be longer than most. But well, I, was, uh, I was just going to say, like, you know, when Alabama had an opening at running backs coach, I would think that. Lance Taylor would at least have a passing consideration or interest in that being his alma mater. And I believe was 48 hours ago, they, they went with North Carolina's running backs coach. I have no reason to believe that Lance Taylor was a serious player there or wanted to leave Notre Dame, you know, and there's, you know, even with the, the Philadelphia Eagles with their staff change going to Nick Sirianni as head coach, really close with Tommy Reese. Does Tommy, is that something Tommy Reese wanted to explore? Like, I think you just let everything shake out and then say, boom, here's our staff for 2021. I would be surprised if it wasn't Kerry Cooks as safeties coach. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's a good balance with the staff, with Elston, as long as he's here to go with Freeman and Mickens. I think that's a, that'd be a really nice staff. Yeah. Curious to see what ends up happening with Nick Lazinski, who everybody in Notre Dame feels good about. Um, he has worked with the linebackers. Clark Lee relied upon him heavily. Little surprise that um, maybe he didn't get more play. Again, I don't. I don't know exactly how much play he got from Vanderbilt and Clark Lee, but he's a value. He's an asset to Notre Dame. And if there's any way that you can keep him on uh, before naming him a full-time coach at some point down the road, or maybe he has to go somewhere else. But I think Nick Lazinski uh, has done a lot of good things for Notre Dame and has a future in Notre Dame. We'll see uh, with that down the road. On that on that note, though, there was a question on the board. What is his path to staying on staff? Same position? You well, know what I'm saying? Like, what's the yeah, path I mean, for one year he, in the same position, right? He played safety. Is that correct? Did he not as a walk-on? I don't know yeah. how much that necessarily yeah, helps he, him. He, he played as a walk-on. No, I get yeah. it. Yeah, I get it. I, I get it. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I, a, a guy in that situation as a walk-on player <clears> – <throat> his mind is already developing as a coach. And so sure, maybe he sure. picks up things as a, as a walk-on player that maybe the average uh, walk-on player at that position might not have. And, you know, I'm just speculating, but uh, we know that he's been a valuable asset. He was certainly a valuable asset to Clark Lee and he's been a valuable asset 
behind the scenes in recruiting, um, maybe at the front of the, the scenes at times in recruiting. So um, we'll see what happens with him. Pro Bowl coming up. Notre Dame's got a not, – not Pro Bowl, I'm sorry. Senior Bowl coming up this weekend. Notre Dame has a few players uh, participating in that. We'll see what happens with that. We'll come back with segment two, burning up the boards. We have a whole bunch of questions about a whole lot of things moving forward for Notre Dame. We'd like to thank Michael Kloska for designing our new podcast logo. Michael is a Holy Cross College graduate who worked in the Notre Dame football recruiting office. He designed our logo at Irish Illustrated Insider, and he can design your logo too. Connect with him by calling 574-339-7200. Now back to the podcast. It's segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from B.L. Caspern. Do you have spring dates? You have expected spring dates. And I'm assuming media will not be given any access. Good assumption. Um, <laughs> the latter part, good assumption. Yeah. it's. I mean, Tim, you said this the last podcast. I made some calls best in the last week. It's heavy expectation of a lot of April spring practice. Um Maybe a late, maybe a late March start, but probably April. And I think cons- different from what it's been in recent years when it started in early March, it should be a much more condensed 15 practices. No reason after everything that everybody went through during the season. I mean, there's no reason to, uh, at least for Notre Dame, to push forward with scheduling 15 practices. Our access, of course, would, would, would be very limited. Yeah. Yeah. And- so the only consideration, they get a little break if they start before um, Easter. That's why I could see that late, late, late March thing that you mentioned. I think Easter is April 4th range, unless I'm just right. completely off thinking about that. But So remember, they like to have that little uh, – Kelly used to like to sneak one or two in, and then when everybody's gone for a little break. But they wouldn't – you know what? That doesn't matter anymore because they're not going to let anybody go home for Easter and right. come back. So I don't, it's there's, yeah. I, I, there's not a spring break, is there? No. There is for St. Pius and Stanley Clark. We know that, but there's yeah. no, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> later, hopefully. yeah. <laughs> How good are their football teams? Oh, okay. If they combine, they wouldn't be that good. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Question from Irish John M. Any chance Obia Gofu comes back from the transfer portal or has that ship sailed? I mean, it was always one of the weirder ones for me. Because he, as Tim pointed out, I mean, he played a lot in the Alabama game. I think that had to do with Dalen Hayes must have been injured to play 10 snaps or whatever. But maybe a Gofu looked at it and thought, my likely scenario is what I've been seeing here at this program that has worked great for the program. I'm going to get in about 25 snaps, splitting time with Isaiah Foskey and Jordan Botello, maybe just like he did that year, and he might want a starring role. Um, it's always confusing to me when a guy that is going to play leaves, but he could certainly leave and play a lot more at a lesser program. And he has a free and he has a free season, so he would have three years to play somewhere else. Yeah, and it'd be a group of five program. I mean, if he really yes, wants yes. to play, go right. to a group of five program, and you'll have an opportunity to play. I didn't think that he was impactful as impactful as we thought he might be. Agreed. Um, you know, because he he just got he kind of got overwhelmed by size among offensive tackles, especially against Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. he's not the only guy that didn't have a great day <laughs> but uh yeah I, I agree with you though he it, it's it doesn't really have a position as position as viper but can he bring more to the table than 
anybody else like Botello is going to develop, right? Well, and then, just so rangy out there that. Yeah. And then when they go, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to see, it'll be very interesting. This is why it's important that we need to see spring practice because you know, that Marcus Freeman is going to employ three man fronts and four man fronts. I don't really see how a gofu fits in a three man front. He does. Yeah. He, he played a lot this year. Look at his snaps, except for Clemson. He, I mean, he could have been someone that might've checked out after playing three snaps against Clemson in the championship game. That's a drop off from 25 and 24. And, but then again, what do we know? He could have had a turned his ankle, right? I mean, that's, yeah. There's a reason I don't know. do that. But in, in answer to the question, I don't know that the ship has sailed. Pete, have you gotten any feedback on this? I haven't heard anything, but it's, I mean, it's, it's so much different than the Griffith situation. This is an older player who's been beaten out by a younger player and maybe multiple younger players. True, true. Griffith is an older player with no younger players behind him. It's a luxury ad, and it becomes important if Isaiah Foskey breaks his ankle in August to become, or Jordan Botello hurts his shoulder in August. And all of a sudden, yeah, Ovia Gofu's not there and could have used yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, he probably sees the writing on the wall with yeah. Botello and Foskey at, at, at that position. And again, I did. The changing of coordinators, I don't know that necessarily helps a gofu in this situation. I tell you what, there's no chance to ever bring this up again. When we interviewed Dalen Hayes before the Clemson rematch, I asked about a gofu because he had been playing a lot more, and he gave me zero answer on Ovia Gofu, and he has no reason not to talk about Ovia Gofu, one of his teammates who I'm sure he liked. Like, in other words, and then Ogofu played three snaps. Maybe he knew something about a gofu at that point, yeah, and right. he just did not respond. Right. Go ahead, Tim. DW Stall 81. Why no real movement besides Jack Cohen from the transfer portal? Uh, real movement? You mean like nobody has signed with Notre Dame yet? I, I mean, I don't know that we know there's no real movement besides Jack Cohn, but <laughs> no, as of now, Notre Dame has said no, nothing has been announced or n- nobody's put out a tweet saying, hey, I'm leaving the transfer portal and going to Notre Dame. I I, I, you know, I think we all feel, I know that the coaching staff feels that they need help in the secondary. Um, There was mention of a potential offensive lineman, maybe a guard, which is what appears to be open. Uh, And could you use a strong side defensive end? Maybe, you know, I don't know, but I, 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 I have to believe that Notre Dame is not done when it comes to grad transfers at this point. Uh, it's worth noting Nick McLeod announced his commitment to Notre Dame on May 11th. And Trevor Spates was even after that, right? So plenty of time to go. And yeah. also, it's just look at the backyard. Jack Lamb, Ovia Gofu, Jameer Smith haven't gone anywhere either. I mean, I think there's, there's probably a lot of vetting going on and figure out who you want. And so, Notre you know, Dame is shooting for the stars at safety and corner, whatever they, the, the best fit they can find. A lot of guys graduate in May. Right. So... You may have to wait for that to come and go, and then you know you can make a decision before then. But it's not a. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this is a rush decision. Yeah, and of course, just a reminder: as a grad transfer, you have to actually have a degree to 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 do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's movement. There just hasn't been any announcement. We expect. We can't say how many, but we expect certainly more than Jack Cohn being among the grad transfers that plays at Notre Dame in 2021. Not Jay, not Jay Tafel. For which player is this a quote now or never type of spring? We talked about one, Houston Griffith, uh, his teammate or classmate, excuse me, Kevin Austin, who will be limited, right? 
you would think. Uh, certainly, he'll yeah. be limited. I mean, yes. it's, put, you know, it's pushback, so we're, we're three months away. But it's the whole, I mean, the class of 2018 is a good place to start. The recruiting class of 2018 for the spring is in the now or never mode because they have good young players that came in after them. And you're okay bypassing somebody if they're seniors and they haven't shown up yet, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean – Really, it's, you could answer this question the same way every year, right? It's a, an older player who, who's under threat by a younger player, which could even include Drew Pine and Brendan Clark getting passed by Tyler Buckner. Uh, you know, it could include a bunch of receivers if Lorenzo Styles comes in and is really impressive. Um, so there's, you know, I mean, heck, if Obi Agufo was here, he would be high on the list of now or never type of spring right. because you have Jordan Botello and Isaiah Foskey. So just... a guy that I really liked when when he signed with Notre Dame, uh, really thought he was physical and and really could bring something to the linebacker core was Osita Ekwanu, and he really and that's an example, Pete, of passed by younger guys. Um, you know, I would th- I, and again, I you know, I don't know how inclined every individual player is to, to play at a small school just to play and bypass a degree from Notre Dame. But I thought Aquani was a guy that I think that would be a guy that if he put his name in the transfer portal, uh, people would look at his high school film and say, this is a pretty physical football player. Clint, you know, a guy like Kendall Abdur Rahman who has not made any real headway, whether it was at wide receiver yeah. or running back. That's a, that's another name that would come to mind uh, for me. I, you know, uh, Nana Safo Mensa was injured, uh, but I don't think that he would have gotten on the field, uh, w- you know, a substantial amount this past past fall. So that would have that would have been a name I would have said. I guess I'm saying it now, but I mean he was injured, so um, you know maybe he feels like his slate is clean walking in with a new coordinator. Anybody else you guys would suggest? No, but the new coordinator does make this a really relevant question because I just remember talking to Clark Lee his first after his first spring, and he's like, you know, I really wanted to see something from Tavon Coney and Asmar Bilal, and I didn't. And then he said, and then all of a sudden in the summer and the fall, it's like, wow. So Freeman will most likely be giving more than the spring <laughs> for his impression. If right. he's, uh, and I'm sure he's a wise person, just like Clark Lee, because Clark Lee would have buried Coney uh, going into his, what became his breakout year. And he didn't start. Remember, Coney did not start. That was Martini and Morgan, and then right. Coney, kept, Coney kept ascending. And I, w- I would mention that there are four early entry freshmen this spring in the secondary, Jojo Johnson, Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes, and Justin Walters. So, you know, could they impact somebody like Ramon Henderson or Caleb Offord? I, 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 have, I have no evidence on that to say that. Just looking at, again, young players that could, because they're coming right. in early, you know, could get a foothold, um, you know, moving forward. C-P-A-N-D, any rumblings from within the Goog on underclassmen that impressed on the scout team last year? Well, de- definitely Kevin Ballman at, at, at tight end. I don't know how much, how many snaps he got, you know, with the quote varsity, uh, but that's definitely somebody that Notre Dame mm-hmm. was impressed with. Brian Kelly has spoken many times about J.D. Bertrand. Um, speaking of a guy that might... <laughs> you know, might be considering the transfer portal without a, I know we know that Nordheim likes him, but he just hasn't had an opportunity yet, um, you know, to get on the field. So those are the two that come to mind first for me. Yeah. And I'll be, I'm not sure that I could pick out anybody else. 
Um, Bauman Bal- was the first guy that I wrote down. Yeah. For, for you know, book. Botello. I mean, I think they, I think they've been yeah. impressed with Botello's. Yeah. I, I think Botello was a, was a special teams varsity guy only, but I'm yeah. sure that he's, he's an obvious one. Uh, it is a good question because like way in the past it was ProSice and Tory Hunter really showed, I mean, Hunter was there because of an injury. Um, and Zeke Carell, we heard two years ago, was giving him fits. Um, I don't know if Jack Kaiser were guys yeah, yeah. early on. It's such a strange – it was a strange year uh, because a lot of the guys that didn't play that were still clearly on varsity. You know, I mean, you those junior wide receivers were still like – Lawrence Keyes wasn't getting going down to scout team too often, I don't think. It, it's a uh, – well, you know they called up Jordan Johnson because Ian Book made note of it. <laughs> He's playing up with us now. Kevin Bauman is a guy that I think would have played for Notre Dame's 10-0 team had they just been missing one of those tight ends. So maybe that's just the best call of all of them. There was just no room for him to come up, whereas a lot of the guys weren't coming up no matter what. Yeah, you know, I'm doing a off-season, typical off-season series of, of stumbling blocks and building blocks, looking at each position. And you look at tight end, and, you, you, you know, they, I mean, they lost Tommy Trumbull. Um, they lost Brock Wright. You lose two of your top three tight ends, but I still kind of looked at a, look at that position like a building block because George Takis has answered the bell whenever he's had the opportunity, other than diving for the end zone a little bit short when he could have, <laughs> and his teammates gave him the business for not scoring. And you know, and and Ballman too with with uh, with, with Mayer. And he's um, good. Mayer's good. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, I look at that as like you're kind of rebuilding there, but if you look. Hey, any t- any tight end group with Mayer at the forefront, it's a building block, not a stumbling block. Yeah, yeah that's it's a job anybody wants, by the way. Yep. <laughs> Nobody already needs a tight end coach for two years. All right, cool. I'll say yep. I got go. it. I can handle it. Nate West 58. Any chance of having a coach's clinic this spring? Yikes. I don't no. think so. <laughs> oh no, I no, I, that's impossible, right? Or implausible. It's bring a lot of people. It's implausible yeah. to bring. Why would you have a Zoom coaches clinic? You're not going to bring you just people. you just can't do it. I, I don't see how <laughs> you can do it. And that's always something that we've kind of used as you know. It's always good to hear coaches talk X's and O's. Yeah, well, especially with Marcus Freeman coming in. Yeah. Been, oh yeah. Had to go see talk about it. He's the that would have been the most attended. Uh, this would have been an incredible question to say no to last May. Will there be a coaches clinic next spring? But I. Uh, Pretty sure there's no coach. We're still spring. debating whether they're going to play in Ireland. That's right. <laughs> Those are good times. But we yeah. always we always thought that that wasn't going to happen, and of course, of course, it didn't. Much to the chagrin of a lot of people that I knew that were really excited about yeah, yeah. making that trip, including me. <laughs> PG Dumont, how would you gauge Tommy Reese's effectiveness as a recruiter? Well, I think he played an instrumental part in Tyler Buckner coming to Notre Dame. Um, and so that's a real positive. I don't think Tommy Reese's name is at the forefront of, you know, information that we get about what a great recruiter he is per se. Um, I, I, I am assuming the question is being asked because it's, it's being doubted that he's an effective recruiter. And I, you know, is it legitimate? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's legitimate. I think he's okay. Um, I know there are people in the group that feel strongly that he's actually a really good recruiter. Um, you know, I think he, you know, I think that he, I think that we know for a fact that he's communicated very well with the players on the team. That's different than recruiter. 
Because that, you know, that's, yeah, that's a good point. That's good yeah, point. I mean, it's well, that's, that's, that is coaching. <laughs> that is literally. But the it is. I coaching. mean, it's such a significant part of coaching now yeah. that it, you know it's it's uh, it's hugely important, more important than ever before. Yeah, I just I, I think that people that are seen as good recruiters are often the coaches that are sort of play the game with twenty four seven arrivals of like letting everyone know who they're visiting. Um, I could be put a fine point on that one. And I don't, I don't think Reese plays that game. Uh, Clark Lee didn't play that game. Uh, and I think Clark Lee is a really good recruiter. Um, you know, is he Marcus Freeman? No, but I think so, sometimes our opinion of who's a good recruiter gets a little skewed based on the number of reports that you read about like coach X visiting prospect Y like, okay. That is, I agree with you, Pete. That is, way overplayed and way blown out of proportion but what can you do about it i mean there's just no yeah. there's no turning back from that uh as long as tommy reese is a great recruiter with the quarterbacks that they want that's would, the that's the most important thing. yeah i mean i would say the interesting part of this question is like evaluation of quarterbacks that 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 would be an interesting conversation to have. You know, Tyler Buckner, really good evaluation. The 2022 class, I'm not so certain of that. And you bring up evaluation, Pete, and I was going to bring this up because let me say a coach lands five wide receivers at in one cycle. And one of them seems like a sleeper, and one of them's top 100, and one of them's top 150, one of them's top 200. And everybody likes the fifth guy. And then four years later, they have one touchdown. Did he yeah. do a poor job of recruiting them, of evaluating them? And is it his fault as an evaluator when everybody would have wanted three of them? Right? I mean, no one was turning down Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay. It's not a bad evaluation. Yeah. That's Lawrence Keyes certainly seemed like a player when he hit campus and was beating players that went to the playoff game all August. Right? Lawrence Keyes was the best-looking freshman out of all those guys. In right. 2018, it's the best secondary Notre Dame has had. And it doesn't so, look like he's gotten any stronger than he was. It so, so it's, therefore, it's hard yeah. to look at someone in recruiting and evaluation and all that, just in a, in a little little prison we have. Let me correct something I said about Reese. He's not just the quarterback's coach, of course. He's the, he's the um, offensive coordinator, so he has to be able to have an impact on you know wide yeah. receiver prospects as well. Irish from A2, what are your expectations for the quarterback competition next year? Does Jack Cohn win the job with little resistance? Have you seen anything from Clark or Pine to believe they will compete? Do you expect Buckner to push for playing time? we got a lot in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, my expectations are that it will continue throughout the year, that Jack Cohn wins the job for Florida State, um, that Buckner will push for playing time as the season progresses, but let's keep in mind he hasn't played a football game since November 2019. And, you know, that's that happens a lot in college football, but he was also a much younger player back then. It, this is will be a, quite an adjustment for him. The Clark Pine thing is an interesting dynamic because I don't think Clark is healthy enough to compete. So I don't even know what I don't think he has a shot at the quarterback competition this year. If they just clean up his knee and he misses spring. He's not winning the job at quarterback when Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine are there the whole spring with Jack Cohn, right? Yeah. He has to be fine to have a chance, I would say, is the only way of looking at it. I, you know, I, 
Cohn's going to win the job. I mean, I expect Cohn to win the job because he's just more experienced. He's going to understand. He's just going to have a better understanding of everything Tommy Reese is saying to him than than anybody else. Now, apparently, he's the best Pine, chance to win. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It gives Game number the best one. Chance he gives to, the best chance to win. Right. He gives him the best chance to win out of the shoot. Um, you know, Tommy Reese talked about Drew Pine. I, I talked to him about this in April of last year about what a quick study is and how well he understands the game. Um, you know, but I'm sure that he was given us a snapshot of what, what needed to be done at the quarterback position. And Clark's always been a guy that they liked as savvy. I know Chip Long liked his toughness. There was a story of the broken finger. Hey, how come you're throwing the ball weird today? Well, because I broke my finger yesterday, coach, but he hadn't said anything about it. So, you know, they like that about him. If Clark can bounce back from the knee, if anybody can, it's him, but Jack Cohn goes into this with a huge advantage because of all the college football playing experience, winning a, you know, winning a Big Ten crown, going to the Rose Bowl, playing in the Rose Bowl, competing with Oregon, almost beating Oregon. He just has such a significant advantage. But I do expect Buckner, you know, he should be a really quick study. He doesn't have a ton of playing experience from high school. And you mentioned the, the long break between playing games, but I would expect him to certainly compete for playing time, if not the starting job. Soxtober 2. Are we going to see Chris Tyree or Kyron Williams take a theoretic slash precise career path where one of them turns into a full-time slot receiver? We need the most dangerous guys on the field together. It would also prepare them for being an NFL third-down running back like the names mentioned above. I, I think I'd go berserk if one of those guys got moved full-time to slot receiver. I mean, there are ways around that. Kyron Williams is an established quality running back and Chris Tyree shows all the signs of doing that you keep them both at at running back and you have a a fairly significant portion of your practices moving forward of them playing in the slot but you don't you don't move them out of the running back position unless you know unless Logan Diggs and Audric Estime are come in and are you know outstanding right from the very beginning I think it's worth remembering like there, you got a, you got a lot for, I don't know how many carries Notre Dame has a team last year, but you want to try to get to something close to that number, but your quarterback is not going to count for nearly right, as many exactly. as last year. So those carries got to go somewhere, and hopefully they go to Chris Tyree, who's a running back. Yeah, I, I, I think the good idea is to involve Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams in the passing game in the modern passing game going forward as running backs. That's, well, they caught, they is, caught 12 yeah. passes against Alabama. So, yeah, well, that was more of a help us out. We need something yeah. desperately. No, I can't. <laughs> Tyree, but, caught from, Tyree caught half of his passes this year against Alabama. That was a nice play too. That was the best design play of the year. And he stepped out of bounds. No offense, but that drove me crazy. I can't handle it. All right. There's <laughs> Donnelly 34, 34, who moves out to big end MTA or Riley Mills? You know, again, I think we have to see how Marcus Freeman plays this. He's going to use a variety of fronts. Mm -hmm. So if it's a 4-3, you know, it it would probably probably be MTA. If it's a 3-4, I think they're both candidates for that. I would say that if you just ask me who looks like the big end most, Riley Mills or MTA, it's Riley Mills by a wide margin. That doesn't mean it's going to play out that way, but that would just that would just sort of be my 
my first take on that before seeing anything in spring. I think, I, yeah. Go, go ahead, Tim. Tim. I go just ahead, think Tim. Riley Mills is so much quicker inside than he would be outside. Does that make sense? Like, I like what he can do inside. And it, it's almost as if I'm overhyping <laughs> what I saw too much from Riley Mills getting better as the season went on, where I just want to see that growth con- continue in one spot. Um, that's really probably it. I don't want to see, I don't want to see Riley Mills move out of what I thought he'd be. He started shedding blocks and becoming a guy that was making some plays, albeit in small doses. Yeah. I don't think he moves out of it as much as those guys play a dual role role in practice situations because of the front. I don't know, Pete, I kind of look at MTA as, and I don't know if this, I mean, it probably doesn't necessarily show itself in their actual height, their measurement, but I, you know, I think his length, looks more like a strong side defensive end in a four three than Mills Mills's does. But hmm. I think they're both going to play a ton this year. So we, yeah. you know, I mean, we just, we, we need to, we need to talk to Marcus Freeman and God knows when that will happen. And we need to see, <laughs> see uh, well, when they, when Mills and MTA both start against Florida state, we can talk to Brian Kelly about what Marcus <laughs> Freeman did with them. That's when we'll talk to Marcus Freeman. <laughs> Playoffs next year, right? They got to get in the playoffs. We'll talk to Marcus Freeman. Denver Maximus. I understand we are unaware of the type of defense Freeman will run, but any thoughts on who the starting linebackers may be next year? Buck never seemed to settle last year, and Jeremiah Wusu Koromo is gone. Any thoughts? Andrew White would be one. Beyond that, I feel like it's pretty wide open, including Bo Bauer, maybe moving to the Buck. I, I don't know how. Freeman's responsibilities for those positions differ from Clark Lee. I would think that Paul Moala maybe would have an opportunity if Rover was similar to how it was played. Um, you know, he had, Seems. yeah, I mean, he had a couple moments where you're like, Oh, okay. This guy's, this guy could do it. Um, but I don't know, long, long way to go. I'd, I, I'm reluctant to even guess just because yeah. you don't know how Freeman wants the linebackers to play. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't think I don't think there's any way that White comes off the field, at least on first and second down. I'd be floored. Yeah, and I and I, you know, I mean, I think Maris Leifau has shown enough to me, which means absolutely nothing. But I think Leifau has shown enough to me from my since my opinion was was asked uh, that he's going to play a lot of football. Um, I think we were always a little bit surprised at how much Shane Simon, I think he had eight starts. We are a little surprised by that. Um, you know, and Jack Kaiser fits in there somehow as well. That's why I mentioned to see that Guanu before. How in the world does he get on the field unless Marcus Freeman just evaluates him completely differently than, than Clark Lee did. I mean, Dwight, Drew White's not, Drew White is going to start for Notre Dame next year. <laughs> yes. I am out, whoever's listening to this and thinks Drew White's not starting at Notre Dame, you are wrong and you're misevaluating the sport. <laughs> Okay, Drew White will start for Notre Dame's football team. I like Leofau as well. Uh, for a full rundown of the Buck this year versus the Buck Asmar Bilal version and the three or four guys that played it this year, you can go to Monday Musings on irishillustrated.com. I did that for Tim Priester because I'm asking the people to subscribe to read it. I believe it is. Uh, oh, thank you. Hey, well, God, I, don't, I, don't, yes. I don't have to be the bad guy this this time. Leofau, I like Leofau being in there somehow. It's just the best part of this is I don't understand how it's going to happen, but he'll Which, be in there somehow. He's, he's an athletic guy. I mean, yeah. Pete, Which, by the Pete's way, point, I'm sorry, Mawala. I mean, he's gonna be—he's got a long road to recovery, though, too, right? That's a tough. But the Achilles was training camp. 
Achilles was game number two, so that was like the nineteenth. Yeah. But that's just Achilles feels like it's, it's hard to fight. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's yeah. a horrible injury to to suffer. I, I still, you know, does does Kaiser have a a, a role in a, a Rover? I you know I, I think there's a lot of good football there. By the way, veering off, Tim, you're talking about what we were talking about here uh, earlier in the week or last week or whenever I did it, a story on the captains. Um, and somebody right away said, you didn't mention Bo Bauer. And he probably should have been maybe on the list at the end. Although, has Bo Bauer ever started a game? I mean, I don't know if a guy's never started and is named a captain as a senior. But the five you know, that we had mentioned last People week, often think – People often still think of the old terms of um, offense, defense, special teams. So maybe that's why Bo Barrow was brought up too. Like it'll be his fourth year on special teams, and you know yeah. Brian, Kelly, Brian Kelly's gone to seven captains before. You, you would he think has. that if they go yeah. that way, but he has. So he, you know, he he was he deserved to be mentioned um, on the list. And Jacobs three, other than Kyle Hamilton and possibly Kyron Williams, who do you think will be the next player to go to the draft after three years? And if either one of you missed this, I'm taking away your podcast. Wow! I, wow! Oh wow! Um, would, wow! I, I, Go I, ahead, I Pete. My Michael Mayer time to Tim Priester. Oh, okay. Well, Michael yeah. Mayer's an easy one. Yeah, Michael Mayer. Right. That's right. Just, okay. As long as you see his name on the roster when you're looking it over, that that's the next one after. Kyle yeah, Hamilton. that's that's wow. That's that's about as simple as it gets. <laughs> um, maybe I maybe I didn't. I you know Chris Tyree. I, that's the good news for Notre Dame, as long as it's not a terrible decision. Yeah, I mean, if if, Rock, if Rocco Spindler starts this year at guard, then I imagine that would be possible. That's bad news for Notre Dame. I don't want Rocco Spindler leaving after three years. They got Quentin yeah. Nelson for four. <laughs> Quentin Nelson couldn't get on the field as a freshman. Oh, man. He uh, this anybody else? I mean, anybody else? Uh, who? Uh, well, actually, I, I'm writing a story about Tyson Ford for tomorrow, and he's already uh, like, I'm going to graduate in three years and go pro. So, oh, okay. Well, there you go. All right. There it is. You know, I imagine we can speculate about, I already mentioned Spindler. I mean, guys that we really have no idea how good they're going to be in college Deion Colsey, Lorenzo Styles. Uh, boy, I don't know. But yeah, Mayor's the easy choice, and maybe Tyree is. The second choice? Yeah, because, I mean, especially if Kyron Williams leaves and Chris Tyree is the future back for 2022. Yeah. Right. Hey, and two years ago, we would not have said Tommy Tremble wouldn't be on the Notre Dame football team when he was a redshirt freshman that had never played. And we saw him blocking in the spring. We're like, oh, that guy blocks pretty well. He'll probably go pro in, in, in a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> could Isaiah Foskey have a ridiculous junior year? Right. Yeah, yeah. that's possible. Wouldn't necessarily be a terrible thing for Notre Dame if that happened either. Right, right. Boy, he'd really need a he'd really need a great well, year. But, Tommy Tremble, Tommy Tremble but, had that year, you know, no, in his yeah. mind, in his eyes. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we were talking about Tommy Tremble leaving a year ago today, but no, later just in, in August, the spring. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, we were. And Jeffers, a couple of Houston Griffith questions. Do you think it's more likely that uh, that Houston or a transfer or DJ Brown, incoming freshman, takes the plurality of the snaps opposite Kyle Hamilton? What do you make of the rumors that Terry Joseph leaving helped bring Houston back? I know you guys were Terry fans in the abstract, but do you think new blood at safety could help, the safety coach could help 
Griffiths or DJ uh, Brown's development, or would it be more of a wash in your estimation? I probably didn't need to read all of that. <laughs> you said who to the what now? <laughs> and we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. I will, I will uh, make that long-winded question with a brief answer, I guess. I, I think that Houston Griffith will take the plurality of the snaps. Uh, and one criticism I heard of Terry Joseph, and I did not hear many, but this is just one of them, was that he was really intent on coaching the guys who were the frontline players um, who were playing. And if you were a backup, maybe you didn't get a whole lot of run from him. So in that case, Houston Griffiths would have been a backup. So this is where maybe the fresh start helps a little bit. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So I think the equivalent of Nick McLeod incoming transfer will get the most snaps and Houston Griffith will be a quality third safety along with DJ Brown as number four. Player to be named later is my uh, my answer. Uh, I agree with that. I don't I don't know who that safety is, but as Pete Sampson pointed out, there's a long time between now and the end of the whole grant tra- grad transfer process. Brian Kelly, you know, had indicated, "Hey, we got to get moving on these kind of things," and that's <laughs> understandable. But man, there are a lot. There's so many guys in the in the transfer portal that. Um, you know, you can, you can certainly, or, or even just among grad transfers, you could certainly see that happening. I still believe as, as much as I have been very critical of watching the film of Houston Griffith, I still believe that he can be turned into a good player because he has the physical ability to do it. Yeah. I'm not saying he cannot. Uh, we, I, I mean, my favorite player from the one spring practice, March 5th in no pads was Houston Griffith last year. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> just, mine too. I thought I'd see no more doubt. of it on game day. Yeah. And just in, 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 just in defense of Terry Joseph, uh, you know, I, and I've said it many times, Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman were really good safeties. Maybe it all had to do with them, but you know, we were quick to point a finger of blame, not as quick to, to give credit. And I, think that he deserves credit for how good those two were. Joseph Ramaz, how significant is the change that Marcus Freeman has jolted into recruiting in the three weeks he's been on staff? Do you believe he'll actually be able to land some of these targets typically avoided by Notre Dame that will close the gap? Pete, go ahead. Super significant. Um, I don't, I don't think you can oversell this one. And I'm, I am uh, sort of, a conservative when it comes to recruiting hype, because I think it's too quickly overdone in almost all instances. I think this is Marcus Freeman is the exception to that rule though. Um, I think that I talked to Brian Pullian about this a year ago, sort of follow-up story on BK's pre-Camping World Bowl. I think we can be a top five recruiting operation. And Pullian's point was that Notre Dame needed to do a better job getting in fights for Will Shipley type players and not backing down from those fights. I don't think that really happened a whole lot last cycle, um, but the way Marcus Freeman has gotten off out of the gates here, I think that's going to happen a hell of a lot with defensive prospects. Now, I think it happened with Tyson Ford last week. Um, and I think that's, that's huge um, because Notre Dame doesn't have a great recruiting head coach, so they got to have great recruiting assistants. Uh, and I think Marcus Ford, Freeman is a great, capital G, great recruiting assistant. I, I cut some heat for my opening paragraph of, of Tyson Ford's coming to Notre Dame. And um, be, because I don't think that there was any way, I mean, Tyson Ford would not be verbally committed to Notre Dame 
today if Marcus Freeman wasn't the defensive coordinator. I'm not saying that Clark Lee wouldn't have landed him, but I think what you're saying, Pete, I mean, Tyson Ford being committed to Notre Dame at this point, that wouldn't have happened. I, I, asked, I talked to Tyson Ford last week and I asked him that question. Um, and he was like, um, he didn't say no, but he said the communication with Notre Dame dropped way off. Um, and Oklahoma came on really hard and I don't want to like scoop my own story tomorrow, but like <laughs> one, one, one note in it that I think the listeners of this podcast would probably appreciate it more than the people who actually read the story. <laughs> I asked Tyson Ford, how many conversations he had with Lincoln Riley. He said six to 10. His mom told me that he had met Lincoln Riley's wife, you know, on, you know, zoom call. Um, and I asked, well, how many conversations do you have with Brian Kelly? Zero. So the fact that Notre Dame turned that around was all down to a phone call with Marcus Freeman the Thursday night before he committed on Monday, where Freeman hit all the right notes and pulled all the right levers, and wow. Notre Dame absolutely needed it. That's a real talent. So he still has not had a conversation with Brian Kelly? Uh, I, you know, I haven't checked in every day. Okay, I got like, yeah, I got you. I got this, you. This, this, I talked to them on Wednesday and Thursday of last week. Um, so it was maybe 48 hours, 72 hours after the decision. I'm going to go throw up and get back to you guys. <laughs> I will say this. I mean, the, the one thing Charlie Weiss, Charlie Weiss was not afraid to get involved in a battle for a five-star guy. Uh, I think it's much more likely to happen with Marcus Freeman. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Kenny Covington won with the beating Bama put on Ohio State. Brian Kelly's post-Rose Bowl press conference and the hiring of Marcus Freeman have your feelings shifted regarding the state of the program. These are disjointed thoughts unless I'm reading it wrong, right? <laughs> I, I mean, think, I, think I expected number one, number two is weird, and number three is awesome. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm looking at, really. I mean, I don't know that. <laughs> Do you think differently about the program? I think Marcus Freeman makes me think it's that it, Marcus Freeman makes yeah. me think differently about the program. The other two things, I mean, there's nothing more different than Brian Kelly's post Rose Bowl press conference and the hiring of Marcus Freeman that I can think of. <laughs> did I miss? Did I? Is there something really positive from the Rose Bowl thing I missed? Yeah, I don't. It's all Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman makes me think differently about where the program yeah. can go. Yeah. The first two things have no impact. Now, is I agree. I don't. I don't want to get in. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, that's the one. That's the one of the three that. Um, well, first of all, I mean, I, I didn't think the state of the program was as bad as a lot of people did after the Alabama game. But no, of course that's not. Because that's we. Me. That's because we have a, a different perspective on the program, but. Um, you know, I don't think Marcus Freeman is going to be at Notre Dame for a long time. So he needs to make a real rapid, significant mm -hmm. impact. And Tyson Ford is a good start, a good start in that direction. And so is Houston Griffith coming back. I don't want to like belabor this. I would just say like the Alabama, Ohio State thing, like Notre Dame still played Clemson in the ACC championship game. And like that game went the way that it went. Like that counts too. Um, so I mean, I, I think I'd take the Alabama game and Clemson part two together. And it would lead me to believe Notre Dame has a pretty big gap to make up, but Marcus Freeman is potentially a huge part in making that gap happen. Yeah. I think the only thing about the Bama Ohio state game I took away from it was kind of fun to watch somebody get blitzed. That wasn't it was somebody yeah, else. It, wasn't lit up. it was enjoyable. I mean, it was like, yeah, see, it's 
pretty hard to beat those guys. <laughs> now well, you know what we're talking about. All you all you have to do is tune into the fourteen playoff every year, and somebody's getting yeah, their ass beat. That's so. exactly right. <laughs> Jim Booney underscore CRS. Have you heard anything about a plan for vaccinations for the players? Is there a target date for all the players being vaccinated? August first. Yeah, I was going to say we we I talked about this a little offline. You can't do it in the spring, right? Yeah, I mean, I say that sort of like flippantly, but uh, college athletes are not in an at-risk population at all. Um, so I would think that they would sort of be treated similarly in the spring to pretty much everyone else at Notre Dame, right. student uh, or out of out of season student athletes, because. I, my understanding of the fall was like, if you were an off-season athlete in the fall, your testing was not that rigorous at all. Um, so I, I don't think that that would be different just because it's football for the spring. The follow-up for Kelly will be when we talk to him closer to the, well, probably even before the spring would just be, are they going to be so strict with the living situations? Like the, the funny joke about he was in the post-game press conference giving someone the game ball and said by the way you two aren't roommates anymore like is he is it that important necessarily in the spring or you just let it play out and, and have everybody be careful like the students are supposed to be careful you know is right. it is it that is one of the best parts of the of the entire uh season when Brad kelly gives out a game ball and says by the way you guys aren't living together anymore just because they had to switch some things around so they wouldn't both get covid but yeah i wonder i wonder if they're going to mandate how the players live in the spring if that's necessary or if they just mandate you don't go out and do ridiculous things because we want you at spring practice. And- yeah, and a lot of them have already had COVID. Yeah. You don't know how many can get it a second time. You have other strains that are, you know, I just don't think that it's an issue for a 19-year-old male yeah. football player at Notre Dame in March and April. I don't, I, I can't imagine, you know, we're going to look at it a little bit differently as we age, but I, I can't imagine that that's on the forefront of their minds. We have a last question. I'm going to make you read it, O'Malley. It's a long one. It is long. Murphy, JD, do you guys believe the way ND distributes its coaching staff makes the most sense? Would you change it to no full-time special teams coordinator with two offensive line coaches or split up linebacker coaches, for example, instead of adding linebackers to the defensive coordinator responsibilities? With Brian Polian, I guess it makes some sense since he's a recruiting coordinator, but then can ND afford to have a dedicated tight end coach like John McNulty? Basically, I think he wants the 10 coaches and not include a special teams coordinator to give help somewhere else. I like I like it as is, especially when the special teams coordinator is also your recruiting coordinator. Um, I think there's good balance with that. What I don't what I don't like is when you have one secondary coach. To me, that makes no sense. Um, so I think the way that's distributed, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, an offensive line you can get away with it. You know, you have to understand that there's a there are grad assistants helping each one of these. Yes. Yeah. Uh, position coaches. So it's not like Jeff Quinn has to coach five guys at once. And a, a large portion of practices for offensive linemen is broken down by positions and Quinn will flip from tackles to guards or, you know, centers or whatever. Um, I mean, I think maybe we're overthinking this a little bit. I tend to agree with Samson on this about Polian being special team slash recruiting coordinator. I think both fit him and his personality mm-hmm. perfectly. Um, you know, one dead, one dedicated coach to tight ends. I guess I kind of see that, but like so many things, I, I don't think that there's one correct way here. I think a lot of it depends on like Marcus Freeman, Marcus Freeman can determine how he wants, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe he's, 
again, I tend to agree with what Samson said about secondary. I think that should be split up. But if Marcus Freeman doesn't think that that's necessary, you know, or, or do you have a, uh, you know, do you have a linebacker coach and your coordinator just is a coordinator? Then you'd have to, you'd have to change things with polling and having the, the dual role. Yeah, I get the question for sure. But um, once they added a 10th or the rumor there was going to be a 10th assistant added in 2017 and they got Brian Polian, I was like, that's great. They're going to have a special teams. Def- they're going to have a dedicated special teams coordinator that will do a good job instead of, you know, Scott Booker. People were ripping on his special teams coordinating skills when he was a tight ends coach for the entire tenure. Um, so I, I really like having Polian as a special teams coordinator. And I think what we really, uh, an interesting story we got to find out is, how they really break down the scout team and varsity because people see 15 offensive linemen and think Jeff Quinn's handling 15 offensive linemen. I guarantee you Chris Watt had the scout team offensive line all season long. And that's why Pete, you brought up such an interesting point about Terry Joseph, not coaching the backups enough, possibly the rumor of that happening. Mm -hmm. I think that happens everywhere though, because I know someone told Tim and I in August, I think we talked about it, Pete guys like Foskey, missed out on the spring because they spent their whole freshman year not getting coached by Mike Elston. Like you just can't coach 17 guys during the season. So it's very important who your graduate assistant is coaching your big position groups like that. I remember going to spring practices and like watching the offensive line and and Quinn would have the starters on one half of the field. And then the GA or analysts would have sort of the second team on the other half of the field. And they, they would just sort of break it down that way. Not all the time, but. A yeah. lot of the time, and I and I think like in virtually every instance, the breakdown of a, a, a football team when practice starts, the the position coach is coaching all of them as they do their individual drills, and then it becomes a you know goes from a one on one situation to you know an isolated situation to the full team working together. So um, it works. And to <laughs> it clarify. Works. Mike Elston <laughs> coaches all those players in the spring. We watched it. We used to watch it from above right. Mike Elston, but I I'm saying when the season starts, Mike Elston can't coach the 17th defensive lineman when they're preparing for Clemson. I mean, those guys are nowhere near. Him. Well, and they, the 17th, the 17th defensive lineman isn't getting meaningful snaps right. in practice anyway, as, as the practice progresses. So it's an interesting question. I think, I think there, there's more ways than, than one to do it. And I think every team and every, coordinator you know has his own style and i think it you know tends to fit what they believe works best so okay long question long answer we appreciate you joining us today we'll be back next monday for irish illustrated insider